All right, let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you again for another day just to be able to gather together like this in humility, bowing before your word and your spirit. And Father, we just ask that you open our hearts, open our eyes to see what you have for us tonight. We know we can be arrogant at times and think we know it all. So we come before you and ask for your help in this area. And we thank you for the privilege of having this beautiful place to learn your word in freedom. Help us not take this for granted as it is truly a gift from you and could be gone tomorrow, as we know. Father, we also ask for prayers for everyone in our congregation who is sick and struggling. You know who they are and you know their battles in great detail. And we ask that you give them encouragement, help them persist in your plan and realize you always have a plan. And Father, most of all, we're grateful and thankful for your son, Jesus Christ, who did what he did 2,000 years ago, willingly, out of true and total innocence, going forward to be judged in our place so our debt could be removed forever and ever. Father, please bless this message. Guide us by your Holy Spirit. We ask these things in Christ's precious name. By the power of your Spirit, we pray. Amen. All right, The Deceitfulness of Sin, Part 27. So last week, uh, we talked a lot about the conscience, as I'm sure you all remember. And we did even a full survey of the conscience. And the question came up on Sunday, why was that inserted into this series? Why so much attention to the conscience in the middle of the deceitfulness of sin? Well, the Spirit explained why on Sunday, if you were listening. And here's what the Spirit gave me from Sunday's message. Is that truth is not a subjective thing like many so-called Christians treat it today. Just think about that. And this relates directly to the conscience, if you think about it. Truth is not a subjective thing. Most of you agree with that, understand that. But in the church as a whole, many people treat it like it's a subjective thing. And that's the problem. Uh, that's why consciences are weak and defiled, because they're not being filled up with the truth. They think the truth can be, like, pliable, that the truth can be what they want it to be, in essence. You know, believe, believing the verses that you like, the verses you don't like, you make an excuse for, or you say that's not for today, or whatever excuse you want to make, so that the truth doesn't have to be objective. So just kind of be on guard for this type of thinking. This is how sin wants us to think, that truth is subjective, and it's not as many so-called Christians treat it that way today. What came out on Sunday also is that many Christians today rely on their feelings as a guide. And here's the thing. The problem is those feelings are formed without the Word of God as their foundation. Those feelings are formed by many Christians without the Word of God as their foundation about what is true. So you know, one might say the compass is off. They're going by their feelings. 
So what do you have in that case? You have a shallow faith that can be swayed away by feelings and deceived by every wind of doctrine, as we'll see again in the scriptures tonight. If you, have, if you, if you claim to be a believer, if you claim to be a Christian, and you're being guided by your feelings and even your opinions on what you think is right and wrong without having the truth as your, as your guide, without your conscience being filled with that truth, well, you are in a very shaky situation. You're going to be swayed by a blow of the wind. You know, and when things don't feel right, you're going to quit or you're going to react or you're going to rebel against authority. So we might call this the feeling Christians. These Christians might be sincere, going by their conscience even. But if their conscience isn't filled with the truth of the Word of God, then what do they have to stand on when judging right and wrong? You've probably seen it, you know, like just in life itself. You, you know when somebody is challenged with a principle, and then they seem like they're normally a stable person, but then all of a sudden they're shaken, and they don't know what to do because they don't have the wisdom the truth to, to back it. So they easily swayed, you know, or they fall apart. So that's the situation with the conscience without the truth. Many so-called Christians today can't tell you why they believe what they believe. Uh, it's, cr it's crazy. I, I don't know if, if you've had these conversations, but I've had conversations with people that tell me they're Christians, say they're believers, and then there's nothing behind, there's no substance to it. You even could say, why, why do you believe, or, or who is Christ? And they don't know who he is. Well, I think he's this. I think he's that. What do you, why, do you, why are you saying you think? Right? That's the state of a lot of churches today. Not all, but a lot of churches are just in that, almost like a no man's land. That religion's almost a fun thing to play and do the way you want to do. So it appeases God on the side, and, you know, we've talked about that before. But the problem that came out on Sunday is that these people run on borrowed convictions from their pastor, many of which aren't even biblically based. So um, if that's what's going on in churches today, you can see why the church isn't, you know, quote-unquote changing the world, you know? It's, it's, it's weak as a whole, and that's because truth is missing. They go by how they feel. They're not concerned either with finding the truth. They just want their church life to fit into their own life and their own priorities. How many, quote-unquote, Christians are concerned with discovering the truth, honestly? I don't know. I don't know, but... I know pastor's convinced, and he says it all the time, nobody wants the truth. Nobody really wants the truth. They want their own version of it, but to give up their own version, they're not, they're not willing. So pastor expanded on, on this on Sunday on the board. Feelings versus truth. People feel a lot of things are quote-unquote right, even as it pertains to the things of God. However, many so-called Christians today have feelings void of biblical training. Ephesians 4, 11 through 12, Romans 10, 17, 
in the absence of divine knowledge, their conscience is a slave to false data. Make sense? What's your conscience going to turn to if it doesn't have good, good knowledge about God? Whatever's in there, right? Which is probably a bunch of lies, such as the doctrines of demons in 1 Timothy 4.1. And the doctrines of demons aren't about going out and killing people. The doctrines of demons are nice things said in the name of God that are substitutes for what's in the Bible. So, remember this too, where there's a void in the soul, right? Like, you're not feeding your soul with, with divine wisdom. Where there's a void, something's got to fill it. It's kind of like a vacuum. Something's going to fill that void. And that's the thing about life is that there's no, there's no, you know, there's no getting around the fact that either you're taking in God's mind, the mind of Christ, or you are taking in the mind of the world. You are taking in the ways of the world without a counteraction against it. I mean, we all take in the ways of the world because we have to, to a certain degree. Some people dive right in, right, and take it all in without any guards up. But without the word, even the stuff we have to take in, it's not, quote-unquote, challenged. So that void is filled with something, and it ends up being worldly knowledge and fleshly opinions. I think God is this way. Okay. Can you tell me why? <laughs> Do you have substance behind it? Like, like okay, that, that's great, but I want, you know, um, where do you get your facts from? Is this strictly an opinion? Or do you have a reason to believe God is that way? It's incredible. I met a couple of the people um, yesterday and today, and it's, it was actually tough dealing with them because they're in this place of ambiguity about God. Like It's almost like who you want him to be, and there's nothing behind it. So the Spirit gave us a full survey on the conscience. So we aren't deceived into thinking we don't need to cling to the word of truth. And that includes those of us here right now who normally submit to the word of God. Don't think you don't need to cling to the word of truth every day. Because that's the trap that, that we can get sucked into very easily, any one of us. And all of a sudden we're in la-la land with what truth is to us. We need the truth to combat the lies of the world seeping into our conscience. So again, uh, feelings versus truth. One of the easiest ways to discern if a conscience has been duped is the presence of feelings in the absence of biblical knowledge or permission. The, you know, the, it's not, there's nothing wrong with feelings about the Lord. I mean, it, we should have good feelings about the Lord, but they should be based on the rock, which is Him, which is the Word, Right? That's what our good feelings should be. When they're based on emptiness or emotions without substance, then we're again, we're in, we're in no man's land. Might as well be floating in space without direction, without uh, power. Again, on the board, one of the easiest ways to discern if a conscience has been duped is the presence of feelings in the absence of biblical knowledge or permission. And if you're humble, you will admit you can be fooled. And you'll therefore seek the way to avoid it. 
we all can be fooled any day. And the Spirit gave us this surprising principle lately on the board. Read your Bible. Right? Can't believe that's up there, can you? Over and over and over from the faithfulness of the Spirit. Because without reading our own Bible, we will miss out on the very thing God wants us to have, which is our own convictions and our own relationship with Him. We're going to miss out. If we don't do this singular thing, we're going to stymie our spiritual growth in unimaginable ways. What that means is you will have no idea what you're missing out on. For those who quote-unquote quit, let's say just reading the Bible, they stop reading the Bible, they, they think they either know it all already or whatever, they get caught up in the world and wrapped up in the world. You don't, you're not going to realize what you're missing. It's only when we stick with it that we're going to see supernatural, unimaginable blessings. Okay? Not unimaginable like $10 million. Not unimaginable like, you know, living in Disneyland or something. Andrea? No. Uh, not those kind of unimaginable things that our mind immediately goes to, doesn't it? Oh, it's, I can't imagine if I only had this and oh, where would I live if I could live anywhere, blah, blah, blah. The unimaginable stuff that we're going to miss out on without the word is things like truly possessing the peace of God. Truly possessing the peace of God. Like no matter what situation goes on. Totally supernatural, totally priceless. Something will never get any other way than by sticking to the truth. How about experiencing true freedom in your soul where nothing and no one can bother you in this life? As horrible as the world is right now, as, as horrible as people can be, what if it didn't bother you? Not because you didn't care. Not because you weren't disturbed by people hurting. It didn't bother you because you had the perspective of God that says, you know what? In the end, everything's in control and God's going to take care of everything. That type of thing that can only come from training in the Word. How about having little or no anxiety or doubt in your soul? Is that priceless or what? Is that not unimaginable? For us it is in the flesh. It's unimaginable. We can't think of having a life with no anxiety and no doubts. It'd be nice, right? That's what God promises for those who stick to his word. And these are true supernatural blessings that only come from a relationship with him who is the word. So on the board, we might summarize it this way. Peace, freedom, and no doubts or anxiety. These are divine gifts of God granted to those who obey his word. Is there possibly anything more valuable? And is there anything more unimaginable? Because in this world and in this flesh, it's foreign. But these things are ours for the receiving. God's already trying to give them to us. So again, peace, freedom, and no doubts or anxiety. These are the unimaginable things God wants us to get that only come from reading the Word on our own and coming to our own convictions. You know, our own satisfaction about what the Word says about this or that. There's nothing that can replace that. 
And with that comes peace, freedom, lack of anxiety. These are divine gifts of God granted to those who obey his word. And that's it. Only to those who obey his word. The rest of the world right now is freaking out. Are they not? The rest of the world right now without the Lord are freaking out. Some you can see it. Some you can't see it, but you can tell by their, the things they do to hide it. Um, totally preoccupied with self, people are. Love has grown cold. And people are seeking drugs of all kinds to numb the pain, to hide the pain. We are not called to be like that. We're called to be victors. Above it all, we can rise above it all and look at it all and be like, ah, I see what's going on. There's nothing really like a bird's eye view, is there? When you can literally go above it all and see everything that's going on beneath you and have the big picture. That's what God wants for us. That's part of, part of the peace he's going to give us if we stick to the word as this world goes crazy. So we're not called to be like that. And many of you are not like that for one reason only, because you keep sticking with the Word of God. The Word of God has rescued you to a certain degree. Whether you realize it or not, sometimes sometimes you don't realize it. You get caught up in the pattern, the routine maybe. But the Word of God is rescuing us from all the lies that could be overtaking us. And by feeding our soul with the Word, you have a resultant peace, a certain level of peace. Maybe it's not where you want it to be, but it's a heck of a lot better and where you were years ago. And that's all you got to do to see um, that the Word is working in you. So as the Lord said, if we continue in His Word, we will experience the freedom He died for. He so wants that. The Lord wants to bless us, both spiritually and physically. But He wants the desire of our heart to be for the spiritual. He wants us to be wise and to seek the things that are eternal, not the things that are temporal. And that starts with knowing Him as our security in life. So this repetition from our spirit-filled pastor is a safeguard for us. We've been hearing this over and over and over about, about reading our own Bibles, coming to our own convictions. This is a safeguard for us. We don't listen we don't listen, right? We half listen. We listen for a while. We need this type of repetition because we are all dumb sheep according to the scriptures. And just when we think we know, we fall flat in our faces. So God is protecting us by something even like repetition. Reinforcement, if you want to call it that. Those of you humble enough to sit under these lessons and gratefully receive the repetition are going to be protected from falsehood. Why is that? Because of the power of the Word of God. The power of the Word of God, only the Word of God can transform our souls. And if you keep hearing it, it's going to penetrate that thick skull eventually. And only that's going to rescue us. So, you know, kudos to those of you that just stick with it, who are humble enough to keep listening and not get 
familiar with a, a lesson that you think you've heard already. All you need to do is listen to a lesson again, right? Online and see how many things you missed the first time. Turn to Philippians 3, verse 1. Philippians 3, verse 1. We hear what we want to hear. Maybe that's why the Bible as a whole is really so simple. And it's kind of repeating over and over the same principles in different ways. Philippians 3.1 Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things again is no trouble to me, and it is a safeguard for you. It is a safeguard for you. Those of you who are humble will receive whatever repetition is needed, the same things again. You've got to say to yourself, Jesus, the Holy Spirit is nagging me in this area for a reason, for lack of a better phrase, you know what I mean? He's persistent in this area for a reason. I think I know it, but do I? And in humility, we have to admit we definitely don't know it all, even on a particular topic. So Paul says to write the same things again is no trouble to me, and it's a safeguard for you. And then what does he say in verse 2? Beware of the dogs. Beware of the evil workers. Beware of the false circumcision. So it comes with a warning, a repetitive warning. For we are the true circumcision who worship in the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Putting confidence in the flesh, that would be allowing sin to deceive you. We should obviously put no confidence in the flesh. We're fools and idiots without God. So Paul's saying, be on guard. And this is why I repeat these things to you. The Spirit of the Lord is faithfully training us through His Word so we can individually possess the truth. Each one of us who's willing, God wants us to each grasp it for ourselves. That we own. You know what I mean by that? That we, you can say, I own it. I personally know what the truth says. And I'm personally convicted about what the truth says. I'm not relying on somebody else. Go again to Ephesians 4, verse 11. <clears throat> Think of how faithful the Spirit has been to us. And any good training requires repetition. Otherwise, you're not really going to be trained, if you think about it. But he wants us to have the truth, uh, each individually, as our own. Ephesians 4.11 And he gave some as apostles, and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ. So there you see it. What's the purpose? The equipping of the saints. That's you and me, right? We're each a saint. God wants each of us individually equipped, able to handle our own spiritual problems, let's say. Able to, 
operate in our own spiritual gift without needing someone else's guidance or conviction. He wants us each to be equipped, and so he provides for us. In verse 13, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, as a result of what? The knowledge. Haven't we been talking about knowledge? Filling the conscience with good data? As a result of the knowledge of the Son of God, we are no longer to be children. What's the problem with children? They don't have knowledge yet. Right? <laughs> Very basic, I guess. We're no longer to be children. Lacking in knowledge, let's say. Tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. By every wind of doctrine. By the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. On the board, we hear on Sunday about growing up. How do you know when you are really beginning to grow up spiritually? 1 Corinthians 16, 14, let all that you do be done in love. And it really is that simple. That brings glory to God every time. If we do whatever we do in love. So verse 15 again says, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. From whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. So this I say and affirm together with the Lord, that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding. Do you see the problem the Gentiles have? They're without knowledge. They're without good knowledge about God. They're without the truth. So he says, Paul says, walk no longer like the Gentiles, which refers to unbelievers. Don't walk as they walk in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Again, lack of knowledge because of the hardness of their heart. And they, having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. But you, believer, you did not learn Christ in this way. You're different. And notice the word learn. You did not learn Christ in this way. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him, just as truth is in Jesus. That in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, Notice this, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit. You, believer, still have an old self, which is being corrupted. That means it gets worse. That means if you're not careful and you're not filling your soul with the word of God, your old nature can spin out of control. So lay aside, it says, the old self, which is being corrupted 
in accordance with the lusts of deceit. There's the deceitfulness of sin coming in. And that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. So we have this battle going on within, and it's very real. On the board, being renewed in the spirit of your mind, a true believer in Christ has been given supernatural abilities. A new mind means a new ability to digest spiritually appraised things. Wisdom is a function of knowledge, as is the conscience. As we've seen, conscience means with knowledge, if you break it down. A true believer in Christ has been given supernatural abilities to understand the things of God. Do you believe that? Do you look at it that way? Do you believe, again, we're told to live by faith, right? Do you believe that you've been given supernatural abilities to understand the things of God? Because that's where it begins. If you don't have faith, God can't release the blessings he wants to release. can never forget the supernatural things and ways of God and we can't stop believing that it's beyond us. That's what supernatural means, right? It's beyond the natural. He gives us that power and that ability to see spiritual things. So you are conducting yourself and living by the knowledge which only comes from God. As a believer, that's what we're called to do. Unlike 1 Corinthians 2.14, But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them, because they're spiritually appraised. He literally cannot. You could be the most smart, you know, most intelligent person in the world, highest IQ, whatever, doesn't matter. They literally cannot understand the things of God. The Bible plainly says that without the word of truth, there is spiritual impotence. That means no capability, no power, zero power to understand the true things of God. And that's why the Holy Spirit is the one that helps the unbeliever understand the gospel. If the Holy Spirit doesn't help the unbeliever understand the gospel when it's being preached, he won't be capable on his own of grasping it. So again, without good knowledge, our conscience is weak and easily defiled. Our ability to decide right from wrong is forced to go by feelings. What else are you going to do if there's a void in your conscience? What else are you going to do without good knowledge, accurate truth about God? What else are you going to rely on? Nothing but your feelings. There's no substance available to discern with. So we should be encouraged by verses like this on the board, Ephesians 5, 8b and verse 10. We're told to walk as children of light, trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. In other words, pursue the truth from the word. Pursue it. Chase it down. Seek it. Walk as children of light, trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. As Pastor said on Sunday, and I put this on the board for you, arguably the greatest deception in Christendom 
is the lie that a person can grow up spiritually in the absence of a daily diet of the word of truth. That's really one of the biggest lies going in the churches today. And it's not like directly stated, right? You don't get many pastors up there saying, you don't really need the word of God. But what they do is they indirectly state it by their actions, by their lack of teaching, by their picking and choosing a few scriptures to make people happy. So there's no way somebody can grow up without a steady diet of the word. It's kind of ridiculous to think otherwise. It's like telling people all they need to live on is candy. Some of you are like, yeah, amen. Try it for like three days. See how you feel. They tell people what they want to hear, like all the sweet stuff. Tell them what they want to hear, and then their people walk around sick and malnutritioned and hurting because they have no substance in their souls to conquer life with, to face life with. No substance, you know what I mean? Think about food, right? You know how you feel if you eat a ton of candy. And then you know how you feel if you eat like a really nice, well-balanced meal, like meat and potatoes and broccoli or something. You know the difference, the way your body feels and absorbs it. So take that analogy with you spiritually. If you're not being fed real substance, then you're trying to live on a sugar high. And it goes like this, right? And you're weak and without energy and et cetera. So the idea of being equipped in the Bible is, is pretty common, and it's not just in Ephesians 4 where we just read it, but it was kind of natural for the writers to talk about this as an, as an expected normal way of being godly, to be equipped, to get equipped in the word of truth. For example, Hebrews 13, 21. Equip you, a la Ephesians 4, equip you in every good thing to do his will working in us that which is pleasing in his sight. How are you going to do what's pleasing in his sight if you don't know, if you're not trained? So what this also means is that you, little old you, as an individual, can be and should be equipped with your own convictions, equipped to fight your own battles. You know, your pastor's not going to be there for you in a certain problem in life and he can't be and he shouldn't be we should be equipped with the word of God and say okay I know God gives me what I need to know before the problem comes up the Bible says that too so whatever I do have for wisdom because I've been submitting to the word whatever I do have it must be enough to to handle this problem so Holy Spirit show me what to do in this situation help me apply the truth that I do know and my convictions that I do have. But if you borrow another's convictions, you're actually not equipped. You might think you're equipped, you might act like you're equipped, but you're not equipped. It's like having someone else's sword, you know, one they're not used to. That's not gonna be a good situation when the battle comes. The question came up on Sunday also, why are people lazy regarding eternal things? If you think about it, this makes no sense. But at the same time, because of the sin nature, it makes a lot of sense. Why are people lazy regarding eternal things? And why do they value all the physical stuff in this life more than the eternal? 
It's just stupid, right? You're valuing stuff on earth that lasts 70 or 80 years more than stuff in heaven that lasts billions and billions of years. Makes no sense, right? But with a lack of faith, if you don't believe that, there you are. Why do so many Christians fall in the same boat as the Gentiles, as the unbelievers, regarding their lifestyles? Could be more than one answer to that, but we're back to the feeling Christians again. Why do they care so little about eternal truths that they just accept the doctrines taught at their churches on a Sunday and not check up on them at all? We're talking about eternal life after all. Eternal life. There couldn't be anything more important, especially if there's a judgment. So why? Why so little caring about eternal truths? Why, why accepting what's being taught almost on a, uh, on a whim, you know? Like, okay, that's what was said today. Okay, that must be true. It must be right. I'm going to live my life based on that. I'm not going to look into it at all, even though it's my eternal life on the line. doesn't make sense. But that's the deceitfulness of sin. The deceitfulness of sin is saying, don't worry about it. You're in a good place. You don't really need training. Just follow what your pastor says, you know, the two verses and the nice story again about the dog or the kitten or something. And uh, only feed, feeding your soul on candy that's going to rot your soul. Just ignore that. At least it tastes sweet in the beginning, right? That's the deceitfulness of sin. Suckered a lot of people into not caring about eternal things. How can true Christians only accept what their pastor teaches and not read their own Bibles? There's one really simple answer. They have been deceived by the sin natures. Again, sin's not telling you to go out and murder everybody, generally speaking. Sin is saying, buy the lie. Come along this way, it's good. You know, this path, you don't have to be disciplined. We'll have a guy give you a nice message to make you feel good on Sunday so that way you can go keep living your life and have God adapt to your life, not you adapt to God and the truth. And the thing about this too is not only is it like disgusting like and God must be totally disgusted with it, but it's also dangerous. It's very dangerous. How great is your darkness when you think you're in the light? How many people are going to churches that don't learn the Word of God and they think they're in the light? They think everything's okay. They might even be hearing a false gospel. Like some religions around here that say, you know, if you, if you do good works or whatever, you, you'll go to heaven. It's based on what you can do for God. Big deception, right? Dangerous to not follow it up yourself, not look into eternal things. And on the board... Satan is very happy with these type of watered-down churches. And he's very happy when believers don't read their Bibles and come to their own convictions. He's elated when someone lives their own life and goes to church as a token to God, or almost as a precaution, and lives their own life instead of living life for God. Satan's so happy with that. And you know what? He's probably not going to mess with them. Like in our church, he's messed with us. 
he's messed with, and every situation is different, but a lot of health situations in our church for a small number of people. We're going to talk about that on Sunday a little bit. Why? He's not going to mess with the church down the street that is basically doing his will, avoiding the truth. And also, don't forget, Satan works hand-in-hand with your sinful nature. Hand-in-hand. And that is lazy. Your sin nature is lazy and wants to simply accept what feels good. Satan knows exactly how to use it, how to suck us in. So again, Satan, first of all, is very happy with these type of watered-down churches and very happy when believers don't read their own Bibles and come to their own convictions. Acts 17, 10 through 12. And Satan works hand in hand with your sinful nature, which is lazy and wants to simply accept what feels good. We each have to ask ourselves, is that us? Is that you? And I know you're in a Bible teaching church here at North Christian Church, but is that what's going on in your heart? Because sometimes it is in mine. What's going on in your heart? If you're here on a regular basis, that's great. What's going on in your heart? Are you giving in to the laziness of your sin nature and just want to accept what feels good and not examine it for yourself, not go home and examine eternal things on your own? Let me remind you what a truly noble Christian looks like according to the Word of God. Go to Acts 17, verse 10. Acts 17, verse 10. We're naturally lazy. If we give in to our sin nature, that's one of, our, one of the characteristics. We're naturally lazy. About eternal things, anyway. Maybe you're not lazy about work or making money, but about eternal things, about examining our hearts? Ugh, that takes work. That's right. And that <laughs> has an impact on eternity. Acts 17.10 The brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea, and when they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. Now these were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica, for they received the word with great eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. Pretty smart people, huh? You're talking about eternal things? You're talking about eternal life or eternal death? I think I want to examine the scriptures for myself, if at all possible, and check up on what you're teaching. And then it says, verse 12, therefore, many of them believed. You know what? They came to their own convictions about the truth because they checked up on it in the scriptures with their own eyes. They didn't rely on someone else's word about what the Bible says. They went home and checked up on it with their own eyes. And because they saw it with their own eyes, they came to their own convictions. And they believed. Their faith was increased. By what? The Word. Faith comes from hearing the Word of Christ, right? Their faith was increased because they saw it with their own eyes. They chose to examine the Scriptures daily. Therefore, many of them believed, along with a number of prominent Greek women and men. That is a noble-minded Christian. So that's kind of what we're called to do and be. So we don't miss out again on the blessings, on the blessings of our own conviction.
So where our treasure is, natural man values physical things. For example, this life over eternal things like salvation. A believer in Christ values eternal life and the kingdom of God over all else. 1 Kings 3, 5 through 14, 1 John 2, 15 through 17. Let's turn again to 1 Kings chapter 3. 1 Kings 3. Where is your treasure? Because where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. Is your treasure in physical things or is your treasure in eternal things? We saw King Solomon's attitude about gaining godly knowledge in 1 Kings 3, verse 5. In Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream at night, and God said, Ask what you wish me to give you. Then Solomon said, You have shown great loving kindness to your servant David, my father, according as he walked before you in truth and righteousness and uprightness of heart toward you. And you have reserved for him this great loving kindness, that you have given him a son to sit on his throne as it is this day. Imagine being David's son, by the way. Just think about that. Your father was a man after God's own heart, a great king of Israel, right? And now David is to the side, and Solomon has to take over for him. But Solomon was wise and humble. He's like, I can't do this, right? And that's what we see here. Now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father David. Yet I am but a child. I do not know how to go out or come in. So Solomon, like his father David, was humble about his lack of knowledge, that he needed God's help for true knowledge. So again, he says, I am but a child. I do not know how to go out or come in. Your servant is in the midst of your people, which you have chosen, a great people who are too many to be numbered or counted. So give your servant an understanding heart to judge your people, to discern between good and evil. For who is able to judge this, this great people of yours? It was pleasing in the sight of the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. That's a great example for us, right? It was pleasing in the sight of the Lord that Solomon had asked for wisdom. God said to him, because you have asked this thing and have not asked for yourself long life, nor, nor have you asked riches for yourself, nor have you asked for the life of your enemies. Those are all physical things. But you have asked for yourself discernment to understand justice. Behold, I have done according to your words. Behold, I have given you a wise and discerning heart so that there has been no one like you before you, nor shall one like you arise after you. I have also given you what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that there will not be any among the kings like you all your days. And as we talked about, that should sound pretty familiar to what God and Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 6 on the board. Matthew 6.33 but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. We're going to read about all those things in just a second. They were physical things. 
All these things will be added to you. But I want you to seek me first, the, the truly important things, the eternal things. I'll take care of the temporal things. I'm your father. You don't have to worry about those things. Seek my kingdom and my righteousness first. So do not be deceived like so many others into thinking that blessings come any other way than this. And if you're going to seek him first, you've got to learn the word for yourself. Otherwise, you can't know him. You can't know his kingdom or his righteousness. As the Spirit gave us on Sunday on the board, not only does Solomon receive knowledge regarding spiritual leadership, but God then assures him of physical prosperity too. The thing that natural man puts first, God adds as a blessing. Really, it's not even that important, right? The temple things, they're really not even that important, but God adds it anyway to make you happy or to give you comfort because you're his children. But really, in the big picture, that's not important, right? It's the eternal things that last forever. So, again, not only does Solomon receive knowledge regarding spiritual leadership, but God assures him of physical prosperity too. He put God first, and then God takes care of the rest. So what we're going to close with is this idea that we're told not to be like the Gentiles. In many different ways throughout the scripture, we're told don't be like the Gentiles who doubt God every step of the way. And we see that twice in Matthew chapter 6. So go to Matthew 6 verse 7. I want to share just a couple of verses with you here. See, we're told to be different than the world. God's saying, I've given you my power. I've empowered you. You have a new mind. Right? Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. I've empowered you with supernatural things. So be different. Why would you be the same as the world? Or do you not believe the power that I, I've granted you, that I'm offering you? Matthew 6, 7, and 8. And when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. So do not be like them. Why? Because your father knows what you need before you ask him. See, if you don't believe your father knows what you need before you ask him, you go to God with many words. And you have to, you're almost trying to explain yourself or you think God doesn't hear you, so you keep talking. God says, don't be like them. Your father knows what you need before you ask him. That's why our prayers can be very quiet, uh, not, not with many words. Almost just dwelling on what the Father already knows. He knows you're going to ask Him anyway, right? And it's that kind of faith that God, that any father loves. But don't be like the Gentiles. Don't be like the world, right? Look at verse 31, Matthew 6, 31. Do not worry then, saying, what will we eat? Or what will we drink? Or what will we wear for clothing, right? That those are the things that Solomon did not pray for. He wasn't worried about that. For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. What's the implication? That we believers should not be eagerly seeking all these things. The Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. For your Heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. Or do you not believe? 
But if we believe, we know our Father knows all these things. What are we worried about? What are we, why would we get into a wordy prayer about stuff we need? When he knows and he cares. For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. Just like Solomon. Seek first my wisdom, God says. I'll take care of everything you need. Don't worry about that. It's foolishness compared to what I want to show you. What did King Solomon ask for? Knowledge and wisdom. Why? So he could discern good and evil with a good conscience before God. So he could have the supernatural things that we all desire, like peace, like freedom, like no anxiety, like no doubts. Isn't that what the Spirit is suggesting we ask for? Hint, hint. The Spirit's being pretty direct and pretty gracious. He's like, seek first my kingdom, my righteousness. I'm going to add all that to you. Are you kidding me? Why would I not add all that to you? Unless I decide it's not good for you, then you trust me anyway. Because you know I know what I'm doing for you. As came out last week in our lessons regarding a good conscience, only submission to the Word of God and the Holy Spirit can educate us rightly so that we have good information to judge from. Don't you want to know the truth? Like, isn't this what we're after? Isn't this what we know is going to give us peace? If we seek such a good conscience from good wisdom, from godly wisdom, Go to 1 John 2.15. 1 John 2.15. Again, only submission to the Word of God and the Holy Spirit can educate us rightly so that we have good information to judge from. So that we can bring God glory with our decision making. And so that we can have peace while doing it. 1 John 2.15. Do not love the world nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Doesn't that just sound like what we just read in Matthew 6 about the Gentiles? Why are you seeking the things in the world? Your Father knows that you need those things. The problem is you don't believe that he knows you need those things, and you don't believe he's going to care for you. That's the Gentiles. That's the unbelievers. So don't be like the world, John says. Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world... (laughs) The love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but it's from the world. The world is passing away and also its lust. See, here's the temporal things, right? The physical things. The world is passing away and also its lusts. But the one who does the will of God lives forever. Obviously, that's what we should be concerned about, (laughs) living forever, eternal things. And in the irony of it all, God says, I'm going to give you all that other stuff anyway, if you follow me. I want to be first. I want you to realize where it all comes from. I want you to want to know my wisdom. And if you want to know my wisdom, I can bless you. And I'll give you the really important stuff, you know, the supernatural stuff that gives you supernatural peace? You won't even care about that other stuff over here. 
I'll give it to you anyway, because I want my children to be happy, pleased, whatever. But what's really important? Verse 17, the world is passing away and also is lusts. But the one who does the will of God lives forever. As Pastor Collins said on Sunday, your spiritual life depends upon you not borrowing anyone else's convictions. It's like life or death, so to speak. It really is life or death. Are you going to experience eternal life? Are you going to experience the freedom God died for you to have? Or are you going to live in bondage, like anxiety, and things in the world that uh, make you a slave? If you really want life, it depends on you coming to your own convictions with what the Word of God says and what you think God wants you to do. Whatever your gift is, you have to follow what you think God wants you to do, not what someone else says you should do. We all have a unique gift or gifts, and no one can tell you how God wants you to use that except Him. So it's a life or death situation, really. Are you going to live in death, live in bondage, or are you going to live in true life because you come to your own convictions about what the Word says and what God says for you to live by? Nothing like that. And let that, that settle into your soul. You know, buy that truth. That's a piece of truth to buy. Like in Revelation chapter 2, Jesus says, buy gold refined by fire. Buy that. If you live on borrowed convictions, it's, you're going to have a miserable life. You know, I've been there. I've done that. I know what it's like. See, so you're not able to stand on your own convictions. So you don't have the peace that God wants you to have in your own conscience. So our time's up. That's pretty much the message that the Spirit's been telling us. Uh, actually, we'll just close with this point because it's appropriate. If you want to enjoy the blessings of possessing your own convictions, born of a good conscience, you must begin by acquiring the word of truth. Many of you know this, but are you too familiar with this? There's not a time when this ends. This ends when, when life is over. But as long as we're in this world, we need to keep acquiring truth if we want to have a good conscience and... Uh, have all the blessings and the peace that God wants us to have. Let's bow our heads. Father, we thank you so much for your convicting word and your message from your spirit. We ask, Father, that you humble us before you always with these things. Um, help us never think we haven't figured out. Help us always be humble and know we need to learn more and we need your wisdom, Father. We're asking for your wisdom and your guidance, and we thank you for your word and your spirit that is opening our eyes every day. Father, please bless us all as we go and help us take the truth out to this lost and dying world that is so confused, so lost in the darkness, without understanding. Help us, Father, in grace and humility and love, spread your word so that we can save a few more before you return. We ask these things in Christ's precious name and by the power of your spirit, we pray. Amen.